a soldier of the cross of Jesus. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. You have to know the principle behind John 3.16. That's the word. Christ is enough. Christ is the enough. Is, when you read the Bible, when you understand how beautiful the presence of God is, you can't take it for granted. The Bible says that you must eat of this word daily. It's only the precious blood of Jesus Christ that has power. Christ is enough. Christ it's only the precious enough. blood of Jesus Christ that has power. Hello, this is Pastor Caleb Sukul. Thank you for tuning in into Calvary with Caleb Sukul. Please prepare your hearts as we listen to this week's sermon. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous, they run into it and they are saved. I greet you in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. It's always a privilege of mine. I say this all the time. It's always a privilege of mine to share the word of the Lord with you. Here in South Africa, the COVID numbers have reduced drastically, and we thank the Lord for that. We're now on level one of lockdown and indoor gatherings. The numbers has increased, and I hope everyone listening on this podcast has gone back to church. I hope we have not made this the new church. Amen. I hope we still understand that even though it was political, we had to stay away from physical gathering. We cannot negate the gathering of the saints. We are commanded to physically gather in his name. So I greet you all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. It's always a privilege for me to share the word of the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. In John chapter 3, verse 16, you notice this is one of our Sunday school verses. This is fundamental to our faith. This is what we are taught growing up and taught throughout our lifetime as Christians. John three sixteen, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His only begotten son. There is no other son except the only begotten son, Jesus Christ. That whoever... Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise the Lord. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then in 17, I, I always, it always, um, what's the word? It, I was always intrigued growing up in Sunday school, how we were taught John 3.16, but... To, 17 was left out, and I, I learned John 3, 17. I, I didn't stop at 16. I, I went on to 17, and 17 is so powerful. 17 tells us, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. No. But that the world through him might be saved. Glory to God. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus did not come into this world to send us to hell. 
He did not come here to tell us we are all doomed sinners and leave it like that. No, he did not come into the world to condemn us. Yes, our sins are like filthy rags, but he did not leave us that way. He did not come into this world. The Father did not send the Son, the only Son, the only begotten Son. The Father did not send the only begotten Son to come into this world to condemn us. No, no, my brother, my sister, he sent the Son, his only Son, his only begotten Son to save us to save me and to save you, to save the world. Jesus saves for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Glory to God. Amen, amen, amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of James chapter 5, and I'm going to read 19 and 20. James chapter 5, 19 to 20. That's our key scriptures for today. The Bible says in verse 19, brethren. Now this brethren is not talking to someone on the outside. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of recognition. He's talking to those that are saved. He's talking to Christians who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, verse 20, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. May God bless the reading of his word. I have three points for us today. Point number one, Jesus saves. Point number two, we are his disciples. And point number three, we must evangelize. Amen. Let's go into point number one, Jesus saves. Only Jesus Christ can save save us. Amen? Only Jesus Christ can save us. you in church long enough to know this, that only Jesus Christ can save us. And if you are recently converted into the faith, or if you are recently born again in the faith, if you have recently met Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and my Lord and Savior, and our Lord and Savior, then you know very well because of the witness that's inside of you, only Jesus Christ can save us. Amen. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. No man, not you, not me, no man, no man how good they may be. No man comes to the Father except through him. We have to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. We cannot go to the Father any other way. Our good works won't get us there. We are not saved by good works. We are saved by grace. 
It's a free gift through faith, lest any man should boast. He saves us. It's good to speak in full sentences. So let me complete that sentence. He saves us from ourselves. Amen. He saves us from ourselves, from the wretched people that we are without him. When our moral compass points in every which direction except true north, he comes, he steps in, and he shows us the way. He brings stability into our lives and our compass now. Our moral compass points north, true north to the sun. We follow after him. You see, in this world, there are and there was a lot of religious leaders in the world, but only Christ is the God-man. History past had a lot of good men. History past had a lot of religious good men, but none of them was the Christ. Only Jesus is the Christ. History present even today has a lot of good men, but none of them are the Christ. History today has a lot of good men. History today has a lot of good religious leaders, but none of them are the Christ. The Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He alone is the Christ. He is the God-man when he walked this earth. You see, in theology, he is referred to as the complex man because it's complex. How can God and man be one? It's a complex situation. But he is the God-man, fully God and fully man. At the same time, the Word was made flesh and it dwelt amongst us born of the Spirit, born of the virgin birth, when the Holy Spirit came upon her. The complex man was conceived in the womb of Mary. He went through his life doing good works, preaching good, preaching the gospel, telling people only what they needed to hear, which was the gospel, the good news. At times, things got heated, but he stood his ground. He had to speak the truth. You see, the truth doesn't change based on our feelings, whether we like it or not. Many times, the Pharisees and Sadducees confronted him and the religious leaders, but he never changed. He never changed his stance. He never changed his statement. He spoke the truth always. Because he is the truth. He finished his work that the Father sent him to do. He accomplished it on Calvary when he said those words, It is done. And the earth shook. It is done. It is done. It is done in the, the temple. Oh, the veil. The curtain tore. The earth shook. Rocks began to split. The dead even raised. Oh my word, the sky became dark. The Son of Man died. He died. He finished his work. It is done. 
It is finished. You accomplished it. Do not be misguided. It is only because of the cross we are saved. His birth was great. It fulfilled a lot of prophecies. But his death, oh, his death saved us. Jesus saves. The Lamb of God was slain before the very foundations of the earth. The Lamb of God took our place. He who knew no sin became sin. Jesus saves. The four images of the cross, sanctification, justification, redemption, reconciliation, all happened at the cross. He sanctified us. He justified us. He redeemed us. He reconciled us back to the Father. Our good works does not save us. Please understand this. Our good works are secondary. It's only Jesus that saves us. It's only Jesus. It's only Jesus that saves us. Point number two. We are his disciples. When we received the free gift of salvation from Christ, we became members of his church and his body. Amen. We are his disciples. We are disciples first before we are Christians because Jesus used the word disciples. Christians became popular after his ascension during the early church. In fact, the word Christian is a slur. When you really look at it, 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 was, it was a word to bring mockery. You are, you are followers of Christ. They weren't complimenting us. They weren't complimenting the early church. It was it was mockery. Christ, hey, eh? Christ, that, that that guy that said he was he was God, God, who died, and then you guys stole his body, you follow him. Oh, you guys are Christians. Followers of Christ, it was it's a mockery. Today we've embraced it. The early church had to embrace it. But biblically speaking, Jesus used the terminology disciples, and we are disciples. I must ask the question then, why did the Son of God use the word disciples and not followers? Because essentially that's what they were doing. He said, leave what you're doing and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. But he called them disciples. What is the difference between a disciple and a Christian? A disciple will discipline himself according to the teachings of Christ. If the Bible says it, that settles it. We teach the Bible, we preach the Bible, we love the Bible. Sola Scriptura. We live and breathe the Bible. He gave us the Bible. He gave us his teachings. And we conform to it. A Christian, on the other hand, will do the bare minimum. Let's say that again. The disciple will discipline himself according to the teachings of Christ. A Christian will do the bare minimum. Disciples are practicing Christians. 
Disciples practice their Christianity. Disciples read the word of God and conform to the word of God and say, more like you and less of me. I must die that he may increase. That's what disciples do. Disciples conform to the word. How would you conform to the word of God if you are not reading the word of God? Disciples conform to the word of God through the renewing of their mind. They read it and they take it in. They renew their mind. This is what God expects from me. I have to discipline myself according to the word of God. I can't change the word of God. I can't change the word of God. I can't make it new. He's the ancient of days. We have to go back to the old path, the ancient path. We can't change the infallible word of God. It's canonized. It will not change. If the Bible says it, if scripture says it, we have to stick to it. We cannot let culture dictate to us about how we should live our lives and how we should live our Christianity because that's what's going on in the world. No, we hold on to the cross. We hold on to the word of God and we live our lives. We discipline ourselves to live according to this Bible. Disciples understand that the inspired word of God is also literature. Listen to me. It is also literature and must be interpreted correctly. It's a literature that we are reading. There's history books. There's books of poetry. Why would God give that to us? It's literature. We have to learn from it. Yes, it's inspired. It's scripture. But the way we handle it is important as well. William Shakespeare wrote, Romeo, Romeo, where art thou, Romeo? Words of Juliet. Can you understand that? She wasn't physically looking for him. Where are you? Where are you, Romeo? Where are you? No, uh, no, no. But understand that text. She was saying, why are you, Romeo? Why are you born into that family of all the families? Why are you born into that family? Your family and my family, we hate each other. There's a family feud. You could have been born into any family. Romeo, Romeo, where art thou, Romeo? So you see, that's literature. And the Bible is literature as well. We must exegete. We have to look into it. We have to read commentaries. We have to read books. We have to ask questions when Bible, Bible students get into the Word of God. And when the Bible raises a question, the Scriptures, the same Bible will answer. The Bible will answer the questions. If you have a question that's raised from Scripture, there is an answer. There is a verse from the Bible that will answer it. We have to handle the Word of God correctly, rightfully, dividing the Word of truth as disciples of Jesus Christ. And point number three, we must evangelize. We must evangelize. In the Great Commission, Jesus instructs us 
to go and evangelize. He didn't even say go on holiday or go do sightseeing or anything of that sort. Go and preach the prosperity gospel. No. To go evangelize, go to the nations, go evangelize, go baptize them, go make them disciples. Only a disciple can make a disciple. Only a disciple can make a disciple. His ministry was not that of healing or deliverance, the thrust of his ministry. No, no, he did it. Yes, yes, he did it. He did it. He did it. But that's not why he came. He came to seek and save the lost. It's evangelism. He came to evangelize. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He didn't come. He didn't come for any other reason, for secondary reasons. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is about our salvation. This is about our eternity. This is about things that are bigger than the issues of life and death. Where will we spend eternity? With Christ or without Christ? Evangelism is the heartbeat of Christ. It's not about making sons in the ministry. Please. Not about filling the seats in church, please. It's about souls. What does the Bible say? He who wins souls is wise. Not he who can fill the church. He who can fill a stadium. No, that's, that's, that's secondary, man. That's secondary. He who wins souls is wise. Evangelism is the heartbeat of Christ. Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria. This is good and biblical. He told us we must go and be a witness in Jerusalem, be a witness in all of Judea, be a witness in Samaria. This is good, it's biblical. But I want to bring our attention on Jerusalem because we, we know it starts with Jerusalem, and that's a city, and it goes into Judea, and that's a, that's a country, all of Judea. And then it goes into Samaria, and that's outside of your country. That's international. That's nations. And that's, that's what the thrust of the, the Great Commission was. It was, yeah, start in Jerusalem, but end off in Samaria. The nations, go and make disciples of the nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk to you about Jerusalem, our Jerusalem, my Jerusalem, your Jerusalem. See, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is our backyard. Jerusalem is your church. Jerusalem is our church. It starts here. People coming to church need to be saved. How many of you understand that? Because we've got Christians who just come to church and mark register and they stay babes. And some of them just come to church out of a ritual because they've been taught 
to go to church. If I'm honest with you, I got saved at church. I was born Christian. Where must we get saved? Outside of the church? People in church need to be saved as well. We have to look after our Jerusalem. People in our family need to be saved. This is coming home now. People in our family need to be saved. We need to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, with our family. Freely we received. Freely we must give. How is it that we are comfortable knowing our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ and there are family members that are not saved? That when they close their eyes, it will be the last time we see them because Christ is not in them. How do we live with ourselves? We have to evangelize our families. Coming back to the text at hand, when we see people in our close circle go astray, we are instructed according to the text to bring them back to the truth. Amen. Sometimes that becomes difficult. Because of relationships, it becomes difficult because of family politics. Could even be a friend. And we can't be too scared to share the gospel and share the truth because we don't want to lose a relationship. We can't we can't say, Well, I want to keep face and I hope somebody else will tell them about Jesus. You are there. I'm there. Why can't we talk to our friends and family about Jesus? Did Jesus not bring them into our lives for us to minister to them? When we see people in our close circle go astray, we are instructed to bring them back to the truth. To the truth. And who is the truth? Jesus. We have to bring them back to the truth. We, Jesus expects us to bring them back to the truth. In verse 20, it makes it clear. It says so clearly, it says, well, let's do 19. It says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, 20, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sin. In conclusion, this requires us to get our hands dirty. <laughs> we have to get our hands dirty. I can't tell you how much time I've spent with people that are backslidden bringing them back home. See, we are all called to bring the backslider back home, not just the pastor, because you and I, we are both reading the same Bible and are held according to the same standard. 
we are called to get our hands dirty to save his soul. We can't be so holy, we can't be so pious that we don't want to associate with certain people. And we cannot be their judge and damn them to hell. Oh, John 3.17, that's not why Jesus came. That's not why Jesus came. It's not for us to send them to hell. He himself doesn't want to send them to hell. We have to take his salvation. If we deny his salvation, if we don't take his salvation, then we will experience and live a Christless eternity. But he came to seek and save the lost. He made a way of escape for us. The cross is finished. We have to hold the cross with one hand and our brother who's backslidden with the other hand and bring them together. Like how you would bring your hands together. Bring the cross and the backslidden person, the loved one, the friend, the family member. Bring them back to the cross. Bring them back to Christ. We are told to do that. We did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can call on your name. We thank you for your son, for the finished work of the cross. Holy Spirit, I pray that for those that are listening to this sermon, I pray that you are the one who is the after speaker. I pray that this sermon will go and reach those that are lost and give them hope. I pray that this sermon will be used by you to convict us to share Christ with our close circles, to share Christ with our friends and our families, that we will not be ashamed of the name of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, for freely we have received, freely we must give. Let us be true disciples of Jesus Christ. Let us not keep Christ to ourselves and be selfish. But give us the strength, Holy Spirit. Make us bold to share the wondrous cross of Jesus Christ. And the good news, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we do it, our trust is in you, that you illuminate the minds of the hearers, for faith comes by works, faith comes by hearing. And how will they hear if it's not for a preacher? Bless you. Thank you that you are with us. I pray for those that are listening. Keep them in good health. Keep them in Christ. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, Calvary with Caleb Suku. If you enjoyed this week's podcast, please be sure to subscribe and turn on your notifications. You're welcome to rate, review, or comment below. Until next week, let Christ be seated in our hearts. God bless you.